And you know, it actually reminds me of another story from this past week that you shared with me. The bowling coach. I think you shared it with me. Oh, the, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. I did share that with you. It's the, the assistant bowling coach at Stephen F. Austin who had an affair with a player. But it's important to note in this story that the head coach of the Stephen F. Austin bowling team, bowling team is the wife of the assistant coach who had the affair with a player. Right. Yeah. The whole thing, that whole thing was crazy, but the quotes from (laughs) the the guy, the quotes make it the guy, the guy who gets quoted in this story. I don't, I don't know what he was going for with these quotes, but I don't think he helped himself. So the guy's name was Steve Lemke. And so here's just a couple of the quotes that he decided to tell the media voluntarily, (laughs) like not under oath or anything like that. I knew it was kind of a no-no, but there's not a rule saying it can't happen. There's not a law saying I'm going to go to jail for doing something like this. There's nothing in stone. I guess it's just an ethics code. Like, we frown upon it, but there's no rule. There's no law broken. Okay, first of all, right there, like, trying to... I like to imagine that he's having this debate with his wife at first. Like, she's complaining about, hey, you slept with one of my players. That's not cool. And he's like, well, like, it's not really against the law. law. (laughs) Uh, So that's the first thing. Second thing, I was a stay-at-home dad for five years with the kids while Amber got to go off and coach the team. And when she'd get back, I'd run practices on top of taking care of the kids while she was back. When they travel again, I would sit back and take care of the kids. When I got hired on, she almost forced me to run practices. I was a volunteer the entire time before that trying to help out Amber. Once I got hired on, one thing stemmed from another. I felt like I was doing too much for what I was being valued at. So now she's now he's like complaining to his boss about his rates. Like That's right. this is why I stole some extra French fries because you're not paying me enough, and I'm having to clean the whole yeah shop. She had it coming, like didn't didn't pay him enough, so he yeah. took some pay. Right, and just just the main the main takeaway of all of this, his wife was the one bringing in money for the family, yeah. and his responsibilities were taking care of kids, which is not nothing. Sure. It is a huge responsibility, yep. but other one, bowling. Yeah. Just bowling. Just bowling. Running bowling practices. How which... do you how do you even like, hey, uh, I saw that you missed a couple of pins. What I would do on this one is maybe uh aim a aim a little closer to those two it that you like missed. that your ball kept going to the right. I would aim a little bit more to the left. You see those two gutters on yeah. either side of you the You want to avoid those. Yeah. yeah. Not for nothing. Uh his wife Amber. Very successful. She's coached their team to two national titles and two national runner-up finishes. And that's the respect she gets. This is like if Nick Saban's wife were to cheat on her with... Uh, he cheated on him with Jalen Hurts or something. I don't know. At least that would be... <laughs> Are you going to justify that? I don't know. Well... Maybe. Amber is back as head coach. The student-athlete will not return to the team as she has no eligibility remaining. <laughs> That's actually how this reads in the story that I'm looking at. Not she's not returning the team, you know, because she slept with her coach's husband. She's not returning to the team because she's out of eligibility. Uh, maybe she'll be like a grad transfer to University of Alabama or something. There's one other quote that I think that I missed the first yeah. time. So how this was discovered is that the wife went through his text messages mm. and found some things that she shouldn't have. And here's how he responded to that. It didn't have anything in detail. It was just about how amazing I am, basically. General perspective. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> this guy, 
you know, general perspective yeah. of how amazing how I amazing am. this volunteer assistant bowling coach is. Like, no disrespect to the profession, but this is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I uh, let's just like the this is good. I, I mean, in terms of coaches out there in in the college sports world doing doing their thing, <laughs> like maybe we do a little bit less of this, a little more coaching your sport, a little bit less extramarital affair. I will say full dis- disclaimer here we i was like looking this up and googled steve lemke and apparently there is a steve lemke who is assistant coach with the uh, track and field program at uva that is not the same person oh, okay <laughs> i feel bad i don't want to like run his name through it's the said through he was the really good at bowling and also running <laughs> no yeah this is uh yeah seemingly a different person but yeah not great not great just like this is what we do in the summer between these college sports we just find more stories of coaches behaving badly Hello and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. My name is Michael McGraw and I'm here with Michael Shutt. And today is June 27th, 2023. And we have reached the end of the NCAA season. Yeah. Congrats to LSU, their first national championship since 2009. A dominating win over Florida after getting dominated themselves in game two. A lot of a lot of runs being scored and not a lot of drama for how good the tournament was. Yeah, I think that um, ideally they would have flipped the script around and had these two blowout games take place in the first two games and like game three be the 11-inning game that we got in the first game of the series. I just, I don't know. It seems It seemed kind of anticlimactic to get these last two games. It's one of those things after game two, uh, like dad speak, where this, I feel like this is something my, one of my parents would have said, where mm. Florida scored 24 runs. You got to save some of those runs. Yeah, my dad can't use them all. I can't use them all at once. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just kind of felt, felt like, I mean, I don't know. I think momentum is real. Uh, and so you feel like if you blow them out in game two, you got no reason to feel anything but just excited for the next game knowing that you're not going to have to face LSU's best pitcher at all in this series. I mean, like, unbelievable that LSU was able to do this without their ace pitching at all. You know, Florida, you kind of figured their um, uh, Waldrep, their their guy who's been so dominant, only pitched, like, two innings uh, in game two and actually got run out after three earned runs, which is kind of funny when you think about how that game ended in a 24-4 win. For Florida, kind of thought like maybe you'd see him again, but they just never really had a shot there. Uh, Caglianone gave up six runs in like less than two innings. So they were just sort of out of it from the beginning. And this was LSU's game all the way in game three. It really was a complete deflating end of tournament experience because I think it's been amazing leading up to this point almost every major game has been close in the ninth or one team has come back obviously Virginia had their implosion with their bullpen against Florida in the bottom of the ninth which I guess was a very exciting thing for Florida fans but yeah just kind of a, a dud of an ending and unfortunately 
uh, LSU wins another championship. Got to celebrate that uh, with Kim Mulkey in attendance. Did you, did you see her? Yeah. I saw a great uh, – I wish that this was an original joke, but I saw on Twitter someone said it looked like she just got a dialysis bag of, like, cigarette ashes or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, Kim Mulkey definitely did look like the after part of an anti-smoking ad, which is not good. You know, the, the – I don't know. I know that, like, I don't, I'm not big on – LSU either and it hurts as an NC State fan to see Tommy Tanks uh Tommy White have a really great series for LSU and it was interesting to watch their coach uh Jay Johnson I think is his name in their press conference last week was just basically like yeah if I was a good player in the transfer portal I'd want to come here and it's like he's clearly just out there trying to buy a team and this is the downside where it's like I I'll defend it in the in terms of like this is just how it works now it is what it is and I think it can create some really good exciting teams like this LSU baseball team but I don't know it does feel a little watching them beat Wake where it was like Wake is a I mean they've got some transfers as well but feels like that team was put together sort of in the traditional sense and developed and got to this stage and then it's like LSU is like the Yankees of of college baseball but absolutely dominant to win in this fashion again especially without Skeens even having to pitch at all in this series hats off to them and uh yeah but it was definitely anticlimactic to, to the end and have two runs two games decided by 20 and then 14 runs uh to end this series Florida won on aggregate though oh okay hang the banner you know where Florida did not win is in the Jello Shot Challenge. Ooh. LSU. Now that one was just as much of a blowout as the final game. That was yeah. sixty-eight thousand eight hundred and eighty-eight shots at five dollars a pop. I mean, they couldn't get to sixty-nine thousand four hundred and twenty. That just would have been. <laughs> Come on. What are you doing, what's, Tigers? What's like six hundred more Jello shots? Just get get to it. Little disappointed. <laughs> But it's funny going into this. You looked at like Ole Miss's record from last year of the eighteen thousand, and that seemed like unbreakable. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> will Will anybody ever break this? This feels like no. untouchable. I would I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> there's only so much cirrhosis we can cover That's as right. a society. I, yeah, it's. Uh, I will choose to focus on that amazing amount of drinking and partying, and not at UVA's last place finish, which it looked like they were. It looked like they were briefly like heading into like 48 hours ago. They were only two behind Stanford, and I was like, okay, maybe we can just get out of last place. Mm. No, no, bummer. I mean, uh, all around disappointing performance by uh, the Who's in Omaha including the drinking fans. I, I would have thought maybe after elimination that maybe they'd let the team go like... Yeah, hair, go. <laughs> go get, ahead. Get out there. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead and make up for what you didn't do on the baseball field. Uh, make up for it in jello shots, but couldn't quite do it. A little, little disappointed. I did see that another Elon pitcher is transferring to UVA. That's right. We have a great... Uh, it's a pipeline. It's a great pipeline. It's, you know, I like to think of Elon as like the minor leagues of UVA mm. anyway, in all aspects, not uh, just baseball. Sure, but sure, sure, sure. The academics as well. Okay. I'm going to duck here in a second as I get something thrown yeah. at me. But um, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, yeah, it's enjoy. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that we've developed these players just for you guys. <laughs>
Yeah. It's so, I mean, I thought LSU would win from the beginning of this. They just have so much pro talent. And I think Florida was a deserving second team as well. I mean, they have several players that are likely to be or projected to be drafted in the top 10 and, you know, top 30, like first round of the Major League Baseball draft. So hats off to them. Exciting tournament overall. I really enjoyed watching most parts of it, minus the Florida game. But now we have to figure out what to do with our lives moving forward from baseball and the end of the NCAA calendar. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I'm just going to go to sleep until football starts. Just hibernate. Yeah. Just, yeah. I just feel like the rest of it is, I don't know, we can like think about roster stuff and go crazy over what's going to happen next year and conjecture about coaching changes and more transfer portal things. It just feels like the rest of this year is just sort of a, we're just wasting time from July to August. I think this might be a good segue into one of the things we were going to talk about, which is uh, non-NCAA champions. Mm. Uh, there was a great list that was put out by at Sicko's committee on Twitter, and it documents a number of championships in sports or activities or games or things like that that aren't necessarily NCAA regulated but still have uh, collegiate competitions. Mm-hmm. And we did this in our podcast a couple of weeks ago where I was grilling you on who you thought might win based on some of the descriptions but i think it's worth talking about here just because the main takeaway for me is there are so many people that do things at a very high level that i wouldn't even comprehend yeah like people get into their lives we, t- we talked about clemson and mm-hmm. they have an amazing dairy tasting program mm-hmm. how do you get into dairy tasting that's just like a that's an avenue of life that i didn't that was not available yeah. to me or that I didn't even know was available to me. Well, when I think about it, you know, they tell you like, I, I think this is one of the most common pieces of advice for first year college students is go to the org fair and join as many clubs as possible. And I think that's what happens here. I think they're just going around and you're at Clemson and Clemson has a pretty big, I guess, dairy part of their agriculture program. And so you're probably already there for something along those lines, just in terms of your educational career. And then you're walking around the organizational fair and you see dairy tasting and you think to yourself, hey, I like milk. I know what it tastes like. I could probably do that. And then here you are as a national champion in tasting milk and cheese and butter, I'm assuming, and cream. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's just wild. I mean, it's and some of these too, like I think there are some, if you look at the list, that are like engineering based or things like that. So you get situations like... Ball State mm. as the Solar Decathlon Champions. Sure. Which is, uh, I mean, a really great thing to be able to do, I guess, building solar panels and installing them. And I don't know. I don't know why it has to be a decathlon. That makes it seem like they're also doing running while they're yeah. doing that as well. I, I'm I'm very intrigued at what all is, is part of this. So I think it, it involves like a big, like a nine-step or 10 step, I guess, was I the decathlon. 10, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think the last step is like actually applying for something and getting approved. And you know, the other nine steps are like installing and designing the different solar mm-hmm. capabilities. And like, I, I don't know, how do you get into that? Yeah. I, I, again, I would imagine it's a club that you join and then they're like, 
Hey, are you interested in solar energy? Yeah. How about decathlons? No? Well, good news. This is nothing like that. It's just a name that we gave it. And the, and like in looking into this some, there's not really any good explanations on the internet. I, I lied. I just found one. So yeah, it seems like you make something and then it's basically there's like sort of 10 categories for it. So energy performance, engineering, architecture, market potential, innovation, presentation. So it's... I feel like we're really stretching the use of the word decathlon here. <laughs> but these decathletes know <laughs> how to do a presentation. But you know, whatever whatever makes them feel better. Yeah, I'm looking through this and I think there are some traditional things, some things that you would expect to see, like debate. Obviously bowling is on here, bass fishing, uh things that are again, you you would expect to see. I like that um the national championship that's just Mars Rover. Uh, West Virginia has won that one. So, I mean, that seems relatively self-explanatory, but I just, I, I guess I don't really know how you, how you have this competition. <laughs> well, and then that connects to two other ones that I had questions about. One was for NASA lunar pole tourism. Sure, sure. <laughs> and another one, that was one by Maryland. Mm. So we hate that. Yeah. And the NASA lunar surface transport, which was won by uh, South Dakota State. So are they going to the moon to test it this? It sounds like? like they are making plans to go to the moon for tourism, which honestly, I got to say, moon wouldn't be high on my tourism no. list right now. But no. yeah, lunar transport. Okay, that maybe that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, but again, how do you test that out really? You know, I think you got to you got to go. I have questions about this one, which is uh, Oregon has one one called Dance Your PhD. So, what? And and in looking at this, I have more questions than answers from from looking it up. A contest where scientists express their research through dance. The goal is to explain complex theories through interpretive dance. So, can you imagine Einstein explaining the theory of relativity by performing a samba? I can, but <laughs> it also would make me laugh. And so, I don't think that's what they're going for. In 2022, the winner came from biology. It's, uh, somebody danced out the title of the research, Electroporation of Yeast Cells. I don't know what that means, but I can't imagine it as well, a you're dance. Not, you're not looking at the dance. You, the in 2018, there was a physics that. winner, Superconductivity, the musical. <laughs> oh, my Social God. Social science winner from 2015, How Do Policy Networks Influence the Quality of Our Policies? What the hell kind of dance was that? This one would have been great. 2013 biology sperm competition between brothers and female choice. <laughs> you know, I, I did see Oregon play in the NCAA tournament a few years back. And the duck mascot was just about the most entertaining thing. Like I, I couldn't even watch the Oregon game because I was so <laughs> entranced with the duck and what it was doing. It was like paddling a, a make-believe canoe it was stealing the pom-poms from the cheerleaders and doing all kinds of things like that. Mm. So, you know, maybe the, maybe the ducks involved. I just, I'm fascinated in this and I, I just, I kind of want to go see this competition at some point. I'm just looking at in 2020, they had a winner who used ballet, modern dance and hip hop to explain how to stop the coronavirus from replicating. See now, if we had had that, we could have <laughs> avoided this whole pandemic. 
People just said to wear masks. Yeah. I didn't, it, you know. We clearly just didn't dance We didn't enough. get enough. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's, wow. I mean, there, there's so many great ones. I, I think uh, University of Dayton winning the championship of sales. Like, what are we selling? How do you do that? Is it like a... I, to me, that just feels like it's probably a pyramid scheme. They just hi- they get these kids to sell. It's like one of those like one of those knife companies, and they get them to do that, and then say, "Yeah, sure, you guys are champions, and thanks for making us millions of dollars." I could do an entire episode on this. I think this is so, I, so I many love good these. ones here. I, I will call out. You mentioned the bass fishing. That was the previous national championship that Virginia Tech had won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have themselves another one now. Do they in dairy cattle judging? Let's go. So finally, something to put in Frank Beamer's empty championship trophy case. Put, put a, I don't know, a big udder or a big, uh, <laughs> big steer uh, horns. Put those in there. I like to imagine that that competition is just you just go up to a cow and you're like, yep, she looks like she could produce a lot of milk, which is, uh, you could say that to, to cows, but probably shouldn't say that to humans. Oh, okay. Settle, settle down. Just saying. Yeah, uh, these are these are great. I I love that Ohio State. We mentioned this in the other one, but they win synchronized swimming. They win Bollywood yeah. dance competition. Sure, Why and not? they win Microsoft Excel. They've got it all. <laughs> That's why they are the Ohio State. That's where it comes from. That's right. Well, you're gonna win all those championships. You got to keep a spreadsheet so you know what you what you got. Um, this one, this this will be the. I, I just have, I do have two that that have caught my eye on this part of it. Mississippi State irrigation troubleshooting. I mean, yeah. Was that you just fix a leak? Like no, I mean there might be some excess water. You got to dig yeah. troughs the right way, draining. I just like things. that it's not it's not just irrigation. It's irrigation troubleshooting. So it, it's fascinating to me. And then um, this is actually a pretty cool engineering competition that i'm somewhat familiar with but I, I and i think it's it's cool concrete canoe so they have to make a canoe out of concrete which you would think it would sink probably you, right? you would think so so you have to be really good at engineering uh and this was won by cal poly which mm, of course that it makes was. sense yeah this is great stuff man i could again i could do this all day i'm just glad that there's something for everybody out there in the world a lot of e-gaming represented on here. Got mm-hmm. some Rocket League. Got some Rainbow Six Siege. Yeah. Good. League Good of Legends is on there as well. iRacing, NASCAR. I don't even know what school this is that won it. Don't recognize the logo. Experimental film from USC. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably like the worst one to judge. Yeah, I don't. Flower, that would be flower arranging? I just looked up what palmology was, which oh. is the study of fruit. So you could just be like, yes, this is an apple. Yeah. Good job, Michigan. Good job, Michigan State. You did it. <laughs> now, here's what I would love to judge the baking competition. Yeah, that I think I would be a good judge for. Yeah. But this you wonder you wonder about cookie. you wonder you wonder about some of the ones that like this is why I don't like a lot of the Olympics, because they have non uh, concrete ways of measuring like they have yeah. subjective measurements of like artistry and uh, skill level and difficulty and all other stuff and i feel like a lot of these engineering ones or cooking or any of those kind of things have like a subjective quality mm. to them rather than oh that person ran the fastest right they right. got to the finish line first they win well, that's kind of like gymnastics right i mean you, 
Right. I don't like, that's why I don't like gymnastics. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, it's very athletic. It's amazing, but yeah. I just don't like watching it for that reason. I will just put a plea out there for someone to put an end to the dominant dynasty that is Alabama men's and women's wheelchair basketball. Yeah. They, they, they won both. Enough. They've they got enough. Both. Like, they don't need that, too. All right. Moving off of that. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned wheelchair basketball. Let's talk about let's talk about other types of college basketball. And they had the NBA draft earlier uh, last week, a few days ago. And I know that we are predominantly a college show, but I did think that there were some interesting storylines that came out of the NBA draft selection. Uh, five ACC players were selected in the NBA draft. Uh, did you have any like top line takeaways when you're watching the draft about either the ACC or just like who was selected in general? Yeah, I mean, first of all, y'all messed up not drafting Baby T. Terquavion Smith is going to be an NBA player, and I just can't believe he didn't get drafted. But that's obviously I'm a little bit biased, but I will be correct on that. I promise you. Um, no, I mean, I you, think you did like you've been saying for like the throughout this podcast that he was a lottery pick for a while and then kind of backed off a little bit because he was inefficient. But yeah, and, and he should have been. And I have no doubt that his stock should have dropped. He did. Uh, show some issues with scoring efficiency, but also showed improved playmaking uh, and really improved ability as a defensive disruptor. I, I mean, I've gone into it before, so I'm not going to go into it why I think he'll be a contributor, but I also think he's in a really good situation, signed a two-way contract with the Sixers, and that's a good spot for him. It's a good team that could use some backcourt production, especially if James Harden goes somewhere else. A, a guy like that who could projects well as a like off the bench spark plug sort of scorer I think it's a good spot for him but no I think like if we focus in on on the ACC players that were drafted I mean I think the story for a lot of them is projecting out well if we look at first rounders right so the two first rounders from Duke uh, Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead both of those guys the whole deal is projecting out what they could be not so much what they were in college now lively really came along towards the end of the season and he's a rim protector first but i think projects out as someone who can bring some offensive versatility his fit with the dallas mavericks is pretty incredible i think just in terms of what they already have and they've got plenty of players who don't like to play defense <laughs> it's it's honestly one of my favorite picks of the whole draft yeah. was the the mavs getting him as oh, a rim protector with a team that literally is one of the absolute worst in the league at every defensive metric yeah it's arguably the best pick of the draft in terms of combining talent and fit and, and potential i i like Derek whitehead in brooklyn as well i mean i think that here's a guy who's college career of of just one season i i don't feel like is a great indicator of what he can be he was injured recovering from injury for pretty much the entire year saw some flashes and again like he can shoot the ball so i think that shooting early will help put him in a position to be successful and then we'll sort of see what he can put together from there and then you get into the the guys drafted in in the second round hunter tyson i was surprised yeah i I was shocked that he got drafted most people didn't have him in their mocks he's uh, grad student so he's not younger like uh, one of the duke players and i mean he's a great shooter and scored 15 points a game for clemson but just kind of surprised for him to go that high you know he's not the bulkiest guy either like right. he's not like a huge rim protector he's kind of a 
in between guard forward or what he would translate to in the NBA. So I was, I was pretty surprised to see them. That was like one of the ones where I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. but it's also the Nuggets. So, you know, they're pretty good at developing people in the second round. So right. give well, them the benefit of the doubt. And you know they're drafting to fit around an already crafted core, right? So they're not drafting him. So you think like 37, right? So this is early in the second round. You're kind of thinking like you're trying to hit on somebody who – from in most cases, you want to find somebody who maybe could develop into part of a core, part of a. But the Nuggets are in a different spot than that, right? They're getting a little creative trying to fill out the role players, understanding they could lose guys like Bruce Brown. So they're drafting Hunter Tyson probably to be just a shooter, right? Who can probably rebound a little bit because he's got some length and maybe just a kind of a solid defender. He's not going to have to do a whole lot more than that. So it's actually a good spot for him. Um, and then you have the pair of Miami players. So uh, Jordan Miller drafted to the LA Clippers and Isaiah Wong to the Pacers. I, I mean, I like both of these. I think Jordan Miller can play. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in there. Isaiah Wong, I was surprised, didn't go higher. He's just a dynamic scorer. And um, will he be able to play defense at the next level? Probably not. But I, I, to me, this is someone who can get to the bucket and and can score Will he be like a big time player in the NBA? I'm not sure. I kind of, I think he's worth taking a flyer on, but I think the most likely NBA career for him is kind of what I call a G League plus player, somebody who really dominates the G League but can't quite break through in the NBA. We see it all the time. These guys who like, you look at their G League numbers and it's like, why isn't he in the NBA? And they bring him up and he struggles to get on the floor um, just because guarding is different, right? Playing defense in the NBA is different from in the G League. So we'll see what he what he does from there. But definitely a down year for the ACC, I think, in terms of draft talent. Now, we look ahead to next year, and I think there's going to be a lot there. But this year, probably not the best in terms of uh, pro output from the ACC. My takeaway in watching the drafts, we were watching it together, and there were we were, we were talking to some people and explaining kind of how the – AAU plus like uh, semi-professional leagues have been created for the NBA. And, you know, you Scoot Henderson and the Thompson twins, you know, early on in the draft get selected. But if you look at the actual stats of the entire draft, like of the 58 picks, 46 of them came from colleges and 39 of those picks came from their original school. So they only seven players were selected were actually transfers in some capacity. Uh, and then you had, you know, two from overtime elite, four from the G League Ignite, and then six foreign prospects. So, uh, and there were also a good number of players. Seven of the 46 college players came from outside Power Five conferences. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting in the future years to see how these other leagues, these semi pro leagues, develop. I'm sure you will see more players, particularly high end talent, who think they can make some money don't want to necessarily invest in going to college where it's going to be a regimented system with a coach who you know wants to win a championship rather than necessarily develop your talent. Mm-hmm. I could see more players going that route, but at least from this, like there's still a lot of value in going to college, still a lot of value in sticking with your school, not necessarily transferring. Like there's no immediate advantage to transferring necessarily if you want to get drafted. Yeah. It's definitely like, a changing landscape and I think it's actually interesting to watch when you're watching the draft or you're just consuming draft media and reporting it's clear that 
a lot of the experts and sort of talking heads, and this could include us and anybody really talking about it, it's hard to keep up with. It's hard to figure like how to scout some of these guys against the the longstanding standard of this, right? So how does an overtime elite player compare to a two or three year college? Like an Isaiah Wong, somebody who's been in college for a while, was ACC player of the year, and he goes at the very end of the draft. Whereas like, you know, not what, 10, 15 years ago, that kind of guy, there'd be way more respect for his resume and he'd go way higher. Especially like taking a team to the final four. I mean, yeah. we've seen like Kemba Walker's rise in the NBA draft when he was selected was predicated on the run that UConn made at the end of the year through the Big East tournament to the national championship. Like he would not have been drafted in the first round. He would have been right. an undersized guard that nobody cared about and then that run itself made him an NBA draft prospect. And I don't think we see that as much anymore. Like Miami getting to the final four didn't seem to help Isaiah Wong in any meaningful way. Right. I guess there's some of these early guys and maybe this isn't fair to them, but some of them like the Thompson twins and even this G league night route. Right. So like Scoot Henderson, city Sissoko, some of these other guys that are coming from there are going to be litmus tests, right? Like, they're they're kind of pioneering in some ways, just like some of those first guys that were drafted out of high school, that the the league is gonna look at this and determine whether this is whether this is worthwhile, right? Whether this is a viable path and, and recruits are gonna be looking at this and thinking like, does this work for them? So if the Thompson twins go on and have successful NBA careers and make a ton of money and perform really well, then I think you're gonna start to see more and more players kind of look at that path as a realistic option for them you already have guys like rob dillingham next year kind of looking at that or he's playing in it right now and so like trying to figure that out trying to figure out how players are going to use things like overtime elite use things like the g league ignite program to build that path and does this put pressure on the nba to get rid of the one and done thing like and just take them out of high school and say okay you're not going to college anyway or does the nba like this right is it a different path towards i don't think the nba would like this in a way because yeah. it gives them a chance to produce something else that people might be interested in consuming yeah. but also you know people have a chance to make real money mm-hmm. they get to play in meaningful games that are maybe more free-flowing like a lot of nba systems are set up because that's this is where i think it's a little bit difficult to measure so many college systems are very different from what they do in the pros yeah like nobody does what the warriors do really at the college level so you have to kind of figure out what through individual workouts and advanced stats and you know projections and stuff like that what you think people will translate to and fit into what you have at the nba level and i think that maybe those g league elite things might have an opportunity to play more that way I was reading about Victor Wembanyama and how he set up his team in France, and he he set up his team yeah. like he his whole team. They got a coach that was going to maximize his NBA readiness. They brought over several former NBA players to be players on his team so that they could do more NBA concepts. Mm-hmm. The whole thing was set up as a NBA prep for him to be as ready as possible and a star. And I think the Thompson twins have a little bit of that to a lesser extent. But like, I think that could be appealing for players to say, okay, I'm, I am going to customize my readiness in getting ready for the NBA rather than 
I'm going to go play at... I'm going to play in Tom Izzo's system. Right. This and, is what Tom Izzo wants. Or 2-3 uh, zone, I'm going to go to Syracuse yeah. and play a bunch of 2-3 zone, and then I won't be as quality of a defender when I actually get to the NBA level. And I think it's interesting to think about how the NCAA... And NCAA basketball, I guess, because it's not necessarily the organization that has to figure this out. Well, on some level, it probably is. But coaches and programs, how do you compete with this, right? So now how do you make your product appealing in some way? Because right now, if you look at just the way this draft went, if we're using this draft as an indicator, the first round is for primarily potential picks. Like These are guys that are, I don't want to say unproven, but don't have – your four-year players aren't really going in the first round. And really, your international players, unless you're Wimbenyama or Bilal. Bilal Kulabali. Who has a lot of potential and, and, and kind of grades out similar to like a young college player, like a Jet Howard type kind of like there's Anthony Black. They, they were picked right there. Like that kind of uh, potential pick. Mostly what we're seeing in the second round is these international guys and then the more accomplished sort of college players, like your Andre Jacksons, your Hunter Tyson, uh, Jordan Miller, Jalen Wilson, Isaiah Wong, Trace Jackson Davis. These are all back into the draft kind of guys who had stellar college careers and were a ton of fun to watch in college. So I kind of wonder if the future of college basketball is more of saying, like, maybe we establish this so that it's more guys who stick around longer. And, and as much as the movement recently has been towards like player agency and freedom of movement, do you shift to more of what baseball has had for a while of this like, look, you either go immediately to this pro route or if you're going to come to college, you're staying for two or three years and, and lock that in as you have to because then you maybe get more like it shifts back to sort of the tradition of college basketball, mm -hmm. which I've pushed back for a long time. I don't necessarily think that's the right thing. But if the trend continues that more and more of the elite players are going into overtime elite, going straight to the G League, following paths like that, college basketball just may have to find a new way to become a different product. Hey, I think that helps UVA. Probably. Honestly. Yeah. Like that's those are the kind of players Tony Bennett has gotten to come to UVA. He yeah. has had virtually no success with one and done type players. Sure. So yeah. I'm a, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I mean I don't I honestly don't know how I would feel about it, but I think that it would be interesting to see that that's kind of college basketball like punting on ever getting elite players again, right? If you're saying you're going to have to be here for 3 years or 2 years even, and I just don't know that we're there yet, right? I mean, we still obviously have very high-rated players who are going into college basketball because there's still there's still kids who grow up and want to play for duke and carolina and kansas and ucla and whatever right or program that's important to them from their childhood like that still exists and i don't know that that's ever fully going to go away i'm just wondering if the ncaa is going to have to get a little creative in how they're going to compete with this again when you look at the top of a draft where one player in the top five was a college player that's it and you were like I don't know that that's changing anytime real soon, but but maybe it is. I, I don't know. This could be a flash in the pan. You could also see like an organization like Overtime Elite could be mismanaged and maybe it goes broke. <laughs> and then right, you know, when you have something like that, like that, that's where the NCAA and these big time college programs have an advantage is they have that tradition and they have a history and they are stable. And I think that that gives them some advantage. So I'm very curious to see 
where this goes from here. This is a unique draft in that sense where you have a big time can't miss number one international prospect and you have a bunch of kids who have gone a different route and you have some college players thrown in. But yeah, I mean, you look at the top 10 of the draft. I mean, really, you go down to the first, the whole lottery pretty much is people who at most played one year of college basketball. And it, and that's not changing anytime real soon. But I don't, also don't think that there's been a real dip. I mean, maybe a minor dip since COVID, but there hasn't been a significant dip in excitement for college basketball. That's I mean, true. I think people still like you know, getting to know their schools. They like the rivalries. I mean, I think it's helped when you get a player like Zion Mm -hmm. Williamson who comes through, who's like a a supposedly a generational athlete that everybody can watch and be excited about. But I mean, part of why people watch college basketball is just for their schools and upsets in the tournament and those kind of things. And so those things I don't think really change regardless of whether you've skimmed that top level talent or not. Yeah, that's true. And so, you know, it, it I guess it's just going to be interesting to watch the the product develop, right? And see the other the other side of this is like maybe it's the NBA's problem, right? If these kids aren't panning out. If you think about how many when we were in the era of of guys coming out of high school and stuff like that, like there were plenty of Kwame Brown type prospects. There's plenty of people who when you're drafting younger and younger, you have more bust potential so maybe the pendulum swings the other way eventually and they start to realize like hey hold on you know uh kobe buffkin uh doesn't turn out to be all that great or taylor Hendricks doesn't turn out to be all that great or the thompson twins were busts or or whatever right i'm not wishing that on any of them but so then you look at well maybe we should be drafting jaime jaquez higher you know, maybe we should go back to that kind of situation. And I don't know. It's hard to say. I think for prospects, it often makes sense to go young. We've talked about this a little bit with Reese of like, and this is, I think, some of what happened with Terquavion Smith. The more you play in college, the more your weaknesses show versus when you're young, those weaknesses are just like, ah, we can get them better. But then you watch them as go to 19 and 20 and 21 years old. And it's like, hold on, that kid still can't shoot. Maybe we can't coach that out of them. And so it's interesting to kind of see where that shift is going to go as the years go on. You mentioned the nuggets and like that they're in a different place where they could potentially take an older player who might come in and just hit threes. Like I think the bigger problem with the NBA is that there are several teams that are actively going for it. Think that they're contenders. Then there are a bunch of teams that are like, maybe we can just make the playoffs. And there are boatload of teams that are actively trying to lose Mm -hmm. so for them it doesn't make any sense like for the wizards for example it makes sense for them to take a complete uh stretch of a person coming around now huh no i'm not (laughs) i still think it was a bad selection but you can at least see the mental it doesn't make sense for them to select hunter tyson as an older guy who's not going to come in like you're trying to lose the game so you can risk bringing in somebody who is raw or undersized or still growing or doesn't know how to shoot the ball at all right and and then uh stash them on the bench stash them in the g league for two or three years and then hopefully by that point you figured out a way to contend yeah yeah i mean i and i think that this is like i know you and i have talked about it a lot if you're a bad team and i think i feel this way in in football some but it's more true in the nba you gotta just swing for the fences man 
if you're that bad, you just have to take big swings. And you, you like putting together a team of just okay players is just not going to get you there. When you have teams that are building super teams, there's a lot of superstars in the NBA right now, and they're getting together. So there was a point in time in the NBA, I'm thinking about like the 2011 Mavericks or that 2007 I think it was that 8C Golden State team that beat Utah. Like, there was a time where you could put together a bunch of really good role players, and that would be enough. I, I just don't know that, that exists anymore. And people kind of were saying that that was true about the Nuggets, but let's be real. They have one of, if not the very best player in the world, <laughs> in Nikola Jokic. So, like, I, I don't think it's just about role players there. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true where you have differences in strategy. We will have to see. We'll yeah. see how it plays out. I'm thrilled that the wizards are deciding to tank my hometown team the year after all of these great players were available at the top of the draft awesome yeah that for me we'll see man i I don't know that they're fully committed to the tank job here but we'll see in or out i think they've lane i think they've got one foot in right now and the other foot's like sort of dipping in but it seems a little i think they've got themselves one of those concrete canoes (laughs) (laughs) they're building yeah we'll see how good they are at that (laughs) we would love to hear from you after this episode if there are any stories that you feel like are completely mind-blowing that we haven't heard about yet like the Stephen f austin bowling coach that we just don't know about like and you want to inform us we'll talk about it you can email the show at preferred walk-ons at yahoo.com or you can ping us on instagram or twitter at pwo pod yeah consider this a warning shot college coaches we're watching I think college this is, coaches behaving badly. That's it. I think this summer, that's the focus where I'm going to find every single little scandal. I might go out and catfish some coaches, create some scandal. It's not Hugh a bad Freeze. idea. I think we could get Hugh Freeze. I think we get you. I, I am almost positive I could get Hugh Freeze. Let's do it. All right. That's my project for the summer. <laughs>